let me just um, take some time just to read God's Word just before Andrew comes to, to speak to us this morning. Uh, Andrew's going to be speaking from Luke chapter 2, and it's verses 21 to 40. Um, so if you have a Bible, follow along there. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that uh, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She would as advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me just pray before Andrew comes. Lord, as we pray every week here, Lord, we are so thankful that we are able to gather with your people in person, Lord. We just thank you for the blessing that that is. Help us now to really take on board what it means to, to be in the presence of other brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray this morning that this time together will be a fruitful time. Lord, we know that your word does not return to you void. And we pray that the worship of our hearts this morning will be acceptable to you. Lord, we pray for the needs in our community this morning. We pray for the needs within our own church body. Lord, we know that there are many who are isolating currently due to COVID. Lord, we pray for them. We pray that you will bring them through this time and restore them to full health. And Lord, we pray that for our community at large. Lord, we pray um, that you will keep people safe. Lord, that even during this time, Lord, that the church um, here in Cornerstone and the other churches here in this town, Lord, will be a light and will be able to share the gospel with people who do not know you. And Lord, I just pray for Andrew. We thank you for him. We thank you for his family. Lord, as he comes to speak to us this morning, we thank you for the work that you're doing in Village South and in the wider Village family. Lord, we pray for uh, Andrew in the time ahead. Lord, that we thank you that Travis is coming on board. We pray for other men be uh, raised up into that role of elder, Lord, and that deacons will also be, be grown from within that congregation, Lord, just to serve the community that we've just heard about. Lord, will you bless him as he comes this morning? We thank you for the partnership that we have um, with him through Acts 29, and we're grateful for that. Will you fill him full of the Spirit, Lord, that he might speak words of life, that we might be changed and transformed, all for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Uh, it is it is great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, it's really nice to see some familiar faces, um, some new faces as well. I don't know, and I'm looking forward to uh, spending this time with you. Um, I remember, I, I don't exactly remember the date or year, but I remember years ago coming to Rathbury Island to meet with a small group of people who were talking about planting a church. 
I don't know if you were in the room at that time, you remember? And I didn't even know that I was going to be a church planter at that time either. Um, but I guess the Lord knew. And then to see what has happened through John and Julie and, and this church being planted. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's really incredible. Uh, and, and sometimes we don't take time to just stop. Uh, we're so busy thinking what's next that we don't take time to just say, isn't God good? You know what I mean? Like, I, I do that all the time. I'm just rushing through and I'm thinking, oh, we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to do this. And we don't ever go, yeah, but look what God has done. It's class. It's, God is really, really good. Um, be encouraged. Um, I love I love that I get to be here this morning. Um, I decided to come to this passage this morning um, because it, it is a, it's a wee bit of an overlooked passage sometimes because we kind of get to Christmas and we maybe have our Advent series or a carol service or a Christmas Eve or whatever it is, and we read of uh, the, the, the angels singing the, the, the song to the shepherds in the fields, and the shepherds go and see the baby Jesus and, and then they come back to the fields, and then that's kind of where we tend to end the Christmas story sometimes. Um, but we're picking up this morning uh, in immediately what happened after the shepherds returned to the fields. Um, and in verse 21, what we find is that, that Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, have Jesus circumcised. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given, to, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So even before Mary conceived, um, this, na- this name had been given to her. This, this baby that hadn't even been conceived yet had a name. And so right away what we see, we see something really important about Mary and Joseph, don't we? We see in this verse and in the following verses that Mary and Joseph are parents who are obedient and faithful to God. They're obedient and faithful to God. And that's really important. Now, Mary and Joseph, like all new parents, had, had a lot to figure out, didn't they? Uh, there's a lot to do. I remember when, when Finley, our, our first one, was born, um, there was a lot of stuff that I just hadn't thought of. Um, maybe that's more common in dads and mums, I don't know. But there was a lot of stuff I hadn't thought of. Uh, one of the things I had to do was I had to go to City Hall in Belfast and register the birth make sure the right name was on the birth certificate. And I made a few jokes about like, you know, that I could name him anything and that would be his legal name, you know. Um, I know someone who, uh, whose child, I don't know, I heard a story of someone whose, child, whose child's middle name became Eric Cantona. So um, I was really tempted, you know, there's lots of stuff we could have called him. But on top of that, then you have to buy the right size of nappies. You have to organize their wee injections with the doctor, the midwife visits, the, all, all these kinds of things that have to be done. And Mary and Joseph were in the same position, except for them, they didn't have to do all those modern kinds of things, but they, they, had, to, they had their part to, to play in fulfilling the Jewish laws. Laws handed down from God to Moses, then to the Israelites, God's people. Laws put in place, not for no reason, but to, to, to show them how to live as God's chosen people. Laws that reminded them and showed the world that, that God is holy and His people are to be holy too, set apart from the world. So they had Jesus circumcised. And not only that, they obeyed God by giving him the name that God had given them. They called him Jesus. Now we don't have time to delve into this a lot, but it's a beautiful name. There's a reason why we sing these songs. It's a beautiful name. Do you know what it means? It means God saves. Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus, the name Jesus means. And so we see, say his name is to be praised above all other names. It really is. Or his name is worthy. It really is. He's probably the only person that has ever completely lived up to their name. And then we see more of their obedience as we, as we read on down this story. The law says that, that 40 days after childbirth, the mother had to come to the temple and purify herself before the Lord. And, 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 and most likely in this case, uh, Joseph had to do this too because he, he, he had uh, probably helped her deliver the baby. And the law also says that you have to bring your firstborn son to, and present him to the Lord and dedicate him into service to God. And this is exactly what we see Mary and Joseph doing. Here we have Jesus' parents being faithful to the Word of God, living in obedience to God, faithfully doing what, what God says to do on behalf of their child. Godly, faithful parents. Jesus, God, God blessed His Son Jesus with God-honoring, Word of God-obeying, faithful parents. Now, we know these details are in here for a reason. 
None of Scripture is redundant. Every word in the Bible has a purpose. So, so why are we told this? Why does Luke record the details of, of Mary and Joseph's obedience to the law? In other words, what does Mary and Joseph's faithfulness tell us about our Lord Jesus? Because I actually think that these details tell us more about our Lord Jesus than they do about Mary and Joseph. And here's what we see. Through his, faith, his parents' faithfulness, Jesus meets us in our sin. Through his parents' faithfulness, we see that Jesus meets us in our sin. Now, one thing we need to bear in mind uh, when we read this story and when we start talking about the law and circumcision is that, that, that for his own sake, Jesus did not need to submit to any of the laws of God. 1 John 3 tells us that, that in him was no sin. Sorry, 1 John 2 tells us that in him was no sin. He was without sin. He, was, he wasn't born with the fallen sinful nature that all of us are born with. And so his parents, having him circumcised and dedicated in the temple, and then even later on in life, when he himself lives in complete obedience to the law, it's not because he needs to be made right with God. He already was one with the Father. He always has been one with the Father. And what we need to see here is that Jesus obeying the law of God was not for his sake, but for our sake. In other words, Jesus being circumcised and, and dedicated in the temple is this public sign that, that, that he truly has come to be one with sinful people. In, in Mary and Joseph's faithful obedience to the law, God is declaring, I have come to meet you in your sinfulness, in your need. It's a public sign and declaration that, that Jesus is fully human. He was born under the law, Paul tells us in Galatians 4. And it's only by being, under, by being born under the law that, that Jesus could perfectly obey the law and therefore fulfill the law. Now, let's explore how this is good news because maybe the, the, talking about Jewish laws and, and being born under the law doesn't really make that much sense. But let's look at this for a second. Maybe you've heard that the gospel explains something like this. That, that we're drowning in the water uh, and Jesus comes along in his boat and he sees us drowning, and he throws in one of those life rings on a rope, and we grab it, and he pulls us into the boat, and then we sail off into the sunset to heaven together. That sounds good. That, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But that's not the gospel. It's not a true representation of the gospel. In actual fact, if we wanted to use that story, what it would be is that, that we, were, we have already drowned. We're lying, we're, we're floating face down in the water, and Jesus comes along and himself jumps into the water and is himself drowned with us and then somehow is raised back to life and onto the safety of the boat and in doing so brings us with him. That's the gospel. And so Jesus is born under the law so that he can come and meet us in our deepest and darkest need. None of us could perfectly keep God's law. Do you know what Romans 3 tells us? I grew up in a brethren church, so when I remember Romans 3, it always comes out in the King James. I'll change it for you. It says, there are none who are righteous. No, not one. None who are righteous. Romans 3.10. Not even one. But listen to this good news. Jesus, having no sin of his own, joins us under God's law voluntarily for our sake so he can perfectly keep God's law. We no longer need to keep God's laws in the same way because, because when we trust in Jesus, we're joined by faith to the one who has perfectly and completely fulfilled the law. And so we don't have to rely on our righteousness we simply lay claim to his righteousness. Do you see how this is good news? You see, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we all know that we're sinful, don't we? Like, we all know that. Um, we all know the thoughts on our minds and the attitudes of our hearts. 
Uh, and we all know, and, and maybe we would never admit to anyone else that those things deep within us, but we all know it's there. We all know we could, we could never approach a holy and perfect God. And, and I have to be honest with you that sometimes it feels like there's no end to the depth of my sin. <laughs> I don't know if you, if, you've ever, if you ever feel that. Um, it feels sometimes like, you know, like roots of a tree. If you see the roots above the ground, they're big and thick. But as you would go further, deeper and deeper underground, the roots get smaller and finer until they're tiny little fibers all entangled. That's how it feels like sin is around our hearts sometimes. Like a tangled ball of roots in the smallest and finest parts of our, our thoughts and our hearts. And maybe you know this feeling. And you think, how could I ever live up? How could I ever approach God? Well, here's the good news. We don't have to try and find enough goodness in ourselves to meet God's holiness. That would be impossible. All we have to do is lay claim to the goodness and holiness of Jesus. So no matter how bad you know you are, no matter how imperfect you know you are, no matter how corrupt you think you might be, no matter what those thoughts you have in the privacy of your own mind, there is more than enough, more than enough, righteousness in Jesus to bring you close to God. Martin Luther, actually I was getting ready to, I was getting ready to preach last Sunday and it was before anyone else had turned up to uh, our building. And, and um, I don't know why, it was, this, this quote by Martin Luther came into my head and I just looked it up. Um, but it's incredible. And, and he said this, he said, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? I love that. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Isn't that powerful? Jesus, God, God gave Jesus faithful parents, Mary and Joseph, who would obey the law so that even in his infancy, no one could ever say that Jesus never joined us in our sin under the law. Do you see how it works and how that is good, good news? By His goodness, by His faithfulness, by His righteousness, we are brought close to God. Now, as we read on, I realize I, didn't, I'm, I haven't been keeping an eye of the time, so we'll see how long we go here. Have you got anywhere to be after this? John will give me a signal. <laughs> as we read on, we, we meet two uh, characters in this story. Two crazy old people. That's a, I'm not, no, that's, that's a bit cruel, but that's how I characterize them. And the first one is this old man, Simeon. Let's, let's look at verse 25 again. This is, what, this is what Luke tells us about Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon is righteous and devout. That means that he walks with the Lord. You know those people, and I really admire these people who kind of just are having conversations with the Lord, you know, like they're actually just talking to their friend, you know, Lord, what do you think about that? Like, you know, that's how I imagine Simeon. He's righteous. He's upright in his relationship with God. And Luke says that he's, he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. Uh, that word consolation means encouragement or comfort. It's the hope that God would come and rescue and comfort his people. He is, he is waiting on the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that we read on the lead up to Christmas. Simeon is waiting for, for, for the comfort of Israel. And we're told that the Holy Spirit is upon him. This is a man who has a special privilege. Now, of course, as Christians, when we trust in Christ, we receive his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. But in the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, before his death and resurrection, it wasn't always so. To have the Holy Spirit upon you was to, to, to be, receive God's special favor. You had authority by, from God to, to speak to the people on His behalf. And lastly, the Lord had told Simeon, and this is a very kind of strange thing, but it's incredible. He said, lastly, that he would not see death 
before he sees the Lord's Christ. So he's not going to die until he sees with his own eyes the Messiah. He's not going to die until he receives the thing that he has been waiting for all these years. He's an old guy, and there's only one thing on his bucket list. Now imagine what that must have been like. I mean, maybe, I don't know when the Holy Spirit told him this. Maybe he was in his 30s or 40s as a younger man. And, and then day after day, he's looking for the Messiah. Imagine living your life that way. Imagine we lived our lives that way. This is a side point, but imagine we lived our lives that way, looking for Jesus everywhere. Lord, is this the day you're going to return? Is this the day you're coming back? Imagine that was the attitudes of our hearts. Simeon, every day, he's saying, Lord, I'm getting old now. It has to be someday soon. I don't have much longer left. And then one day he gets up, And the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple, and he does. And he comes to the temple at the very moment that Mary and Joseph have taken the baby Jesus to dedicate him to the Lord and to to fulfill their purification rites. And Simeon sees them, and he knows immediately, this is the one. That's not just any child. That's not just any two-and-a-half-month-old baby. That's the Lord's Christ. This is the one I've been waiting for. And then the weirdest thing is that he goes and takes the baby. Imagine you're a brand new parent and someone, old man, comes over in a, not like, this isn't like going to church. This is a big temple where it's busy and things are around. They're in the court of the women or the court of the Gentiles probably. And in, in, this old man comes over and brings your son and does the Lion King, you know, ah, like starts singing a song over him. It's very strange. But I kind of think that maybe by this point, Mary and Joseph are going, you know what, Lord? There's so many weird things are happening. <laughs> Uh, angels are showing up, shepherds are coming to where I've just given birth. Like They're just kind of like, well, this is not going to be a normal child. And so they listen to what Simeon says, and they're amazed. So what does Simeon's song tell us about Jesus? Well, Simeon's song tells us that Jesus is both inclusive and divisive. He is both inclusive and divisive. Listen to Simeon's song in verse 29 to 32. I'm going to read it again, just so it's fresh in our minds. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He says, I'm ready to go, Lord. I've seen your salvation. That you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's holding Jesus in his arms, and the first thing that comes into his mind is, is, is God's word. He remembers God's promise. He says, Lord, I, I can die in peace now. You said I wouldn't die until my eyes had, 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 had been laid on, on, on the Christ. Well, well, here he is. I have peace in my heart. I'm happy to go now. There's nothing more for me to do. Now, I don't think he's saying, Lord, I want to die now, but I think he's saying, I have peace. What else is there to live for? My eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding him in my arms. This child is the one who has come to save. He is God's salvation. And in his song, we get clues to what this salvation is like. We see that Jesus is radically inclusive. Who did Jesus come to save? Well, Simeon tells us that Jesus came, has come for all peoples. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's very strange that that he would put the Gentiles first. That's not normal. In the Jewish mind back then, it divided the world up into two types of people. There were, as we might say in, in, in our part of the world, there was themans and usans. There was, there was us, the Jews, God's chosen, chosen people, and then there was everyone else, the Gentiles. And so it's strange that, that Simeon would, would say, you've prepared your salvation in the presence of all peoples, and, and you've come as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This word Gentiles is actually where we get our word ethnic or ethnicities, or in Greek it's the word ethnos. And so what Simeon is saying is that God's saving grace has come for all. 
Jew and Gentile. His salvation that that He promises to His people is being offered for everyone. There's no distinction. There's no reference to your tribe or your race or or your nationality or your gender or nothing about you is keeping God's offer of salvation away from you. And maybe you need to hear that. There's nothing about you that keeps God's offer of salvation away from you. And we see this play out in Jesus' life. As we read through the Gospels, we see Him extend compassion and mercy to women and to men, to the rich and to the poor, to the, the racial insiders and the racial outsiders, to the morally upright and to the people who are moral failures, to the good citizens, to the criminals, to the addicts and to the sober people. His grace is extended to all. His salvation is offered to all. Isn't that good news? And we say, yes, amen, this is good news. Jesus is inclusive of everyone. And that's great, but, but, but here's the sharp edge to all of this. Jesus' grace is for everyone. His salvation is for everyone. But that means that His salvation is for the people that we don't like. The people that, that we find a bit annoying. Or the people that we maybe wouldn't say out loud, but think that they're a bit less than us. The people that we find maybe even despicable in their actions. God's grace, the salvation of Jesus, is for everyone. And this means that in turn, we are called to carry His grace and mercy in love to the people that we don't like. Now listen, I, I can't speak fully into your context because I don't live in your, in your area, and, but, but, but here's what I'll say. If you find yourself on the, the, kind of on the right side of things politically, then you need to know that God's salvation is for those on the left. If you find yourself on the left, then you need to know that God's salvation is for those on the right. If you think that anti-vaxxers are, are crazy and irresponsible, well, Jesus' grace has come for them too. If you roll your eyes at the idea of getting a vaccination or wearing masks, then you need to know that, that, that God's grace has come for the other people too. If you're orange, God's grace has come for the green. If you're green, God's grace has come for the orange. His grace and mercy has come not just for us. Now, take a second and think about the people you see in your daily life. I don't know who you see in your daily life. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's the same people in the shop that you go to every day to get the paper or whatever it might be. But His grace and mercy has come not just for us. His grace and mercy has come for the Roma people, the Muslim people, the working class people, the immigrants, the refugees. His his grace and mercy has come for the Catholics and for the Protestants. His grace and mercy has come for the, the LGBTQ community, for the gay people, the queer people, the trans people, and for the, the homophobic racist people. His grace and mercy is for all. And we need to follow suit in how we live. Here's the point. Jesus has come not just for the people in our tribe, the people on our team. Jesus has come for all people. And we get to follow in his footsteps and go to all people too. Can I encourage, can I encourage us, church, to live our lives in a way that, that to live our lives in a way that, that doesn't show how um, restricted and bound up we've been by our history here in this island. But can we can we live our lives in a way that, that displays the, the radical inclusivity of Jesus? Anne Lamont has this great quote where she says that you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates the same people that you do. Now, luckily, God hates the same people that I do, and I find that very uh, easy and comforting. But what she's saying is that if you've created God in your own image when you think, well, God's on my team. He agrees with all my opinions, my political opinions, or whatever it might be. 
And she's saying that, that you can safely assume that if that's who God is to you, then that's not the God of the Bible. His salvation is prepared in the presence of all people for, for a light of revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The God of the Bible we see is Jesus being radically inclusive, uncomfortably inclusive. <laughs> now here's the tension because we also see that Jesus is divisive. He's inclusive but he also brings division. And maybe you're thinking, well, that, that's a contradiction. How can he be inclusive and also bring division? Those things are opposites. Well, let's see, because just after Simeon sings his song, he turns to Mary. <laughs> Poor Mary, what a strong woman to receive all of this stuff and, and, and ponder it. And she looks at, he looks at Mary and he, and, he, and he gives her this almost ominous message and I'll read it for you in verse 34. He says, And Simeon blessed them, that's Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed. That word is destined. It's written in stone. It cannot be changed. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. This word fall uh, means to crash, to ruin. It's an absolute calamity. So some are going to come to absolute calamity because of this child. And in other words, the word rise, it literally means resurrection. It's the same word that the Bible uses for being raised to life. And Simeon says, this child will bring about both of these things for many. Some will worship him and some will hate him. In fact, that's what he says. He said he's going to be opposed. Can you imagine what this must have been like for Mary to hear her sweet, sweet little boy, just 40 odd days old, so sweet and innocent, and you love him so dearly, and then someone says, he's going to be opposed. He's going to be hated. Many people are not going to like him. He's going to experience conflict and opposition. And the point is this, Jesus is going to divide the world. This isn't just about the, the Christmas card Jesus, the Christmas card baby Jesus lying in the manger. Uh, good tidings, peace on earth. That, that thing, those things are true, absolutely true. But what Simeon has said, that he'll also divide. You see, if all we know is the baby Jesus lying in the manger, it doesn't really make any sense that he would bring division, does it? Because everyone loves a baby. But when you look at the rest of his life, when you look at the things that Jesus did and, and said, the claims he made about himself, we'll see why he brings division. The claims that Jesus made about himself are, are so audacious, so bold, and seemingly over the top that they by necessity divide the world. In Matthew 28, he says about himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty big claim, isn't it? It means that what Jesus is saying, I control the nation of Israel. I control the Roman Empire. He has authority over the United Kingdom and over the Republic of Ireland. He controls every death, every birth. He controls the galaxies and, and the planets and the stars and the weather patterns. Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I mean, what a claim this is. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews, and he says, listen, you're thinking about Abraham. He's the greatest. Well, before Abraham was, I am. That means what he's saying is like, I never not existed. <laughs> I always have been. There wasn't a time when I haven't been alive. These claims are so staggering. Now, imagine if... Um, you're coming up to Belfast one Sunday and you say, well, you know, we'll come to, we'll come to Village. That'll be a good, good church to go to. And, and you come in and, and, and I um, stand up and I say, well, welcome to Village. We're really glad you're here. Um, we're a community of believers who uh, want to serve and, and worship God. And, and by the way, I am that God. Uh, you're here to worship me today. I've created you and I've created you, and I know your family, and, and I've created every human being, and I'm in charge of every molecule in your body, and uh, I am, 
I am God eternal in the flesh, and there never has been a time when I haven't existed, and you should fall down and worship me right now and, and give me every part of your life. Now, if I said that, there, there's only two rational responses. <laughs> One response is to say, well, I believe him. What a great morning in church that was. He seems like he'd be a really good God. He's telling the truth, and I'm going to bow down and worship him now. Option two is, that guy's mad. We need to phone the authorities right away that there's some guy starting a cult in Belfast where he's telling people that he's God and everyone should worship him. There, the point is, when someone declares things like this, there is no middle ground, is there? There's no middle ground. In fact, trying to take the middle ground is the response that doesn't make sense. Nobody would say, well, I think that was, a, uh, that was a really good service. Village seems like a really good church. That guy seems nice. I got some good inspiration. He's a good teacher. That response doesn't make sense. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't give us that option either. He forces you to choose. You really, really only have two extremes. Or sorry, you really only have two responses when someone makes extreme claims like this. Christianity can't be on a par with any, every other religion. It's the truth that stands against and above all other truths. And so when Jesus says, I am, when he says all authority on me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, the, the only two responses are to crown him or to crucify him. Simeon says, this baby is going to divide. Do you see how Jesus forces us to decide? Either crucify him or crown him. There's no space for him in the middle. And how often do we live our lives in the middle? How often in our Northern Irish Christian bubble do we try to live in the middle space? Where we say, Jesus, he's a nice guy. He's a good teacher. I, I, I'll give him a wee bit of lip service. I'll sing the songs in church on a Sunday morning. And I'll maybe even read my Bible once a week or something like that. Um, I'll come to church when it's convenient. I'll put uh, the one that I see a lot is Jesus follower in my Instagram bio now, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus coffee life or, you know, Jesus coffee dogs, whatever, whatever people do. We try to keep Jesus in that middle space. We want to give him just enough allegiance to satisfy our com consciences. But if you're trying to live with Jesus in that middle space, you haven't really thought about his claims because Jesus can't fit in the middle. If you're saying, I like Jesus, but I don't think he should have any uh, say over my money or my time or, or my body or, or what I think about my neighbors or what I think about the world or my job, then you haven't really considered who this child is. Jesus forces us to, to one of these two extremes. When we read the Gospels, nobody just likes Jesus. I mean, no one's like, oh, Jesus is a pretty nice guy. They, they either want to murder him or uh, they, they worship him. People come up to Jesus and they bow down and worship him. Or they get together with their friends and say, we need to figure out a way to kill him. There's no middle space. Jesus is, is radically inclusive, yes. His, his grace and salvation is offered to all people. But he's also incredi incredibly divisive. We either crown him or crucify him. And the question for us is, what do we do? How do we see Jesus? J Simeon didn't just see Jesus as a nice wee baby boy and say, well, isn't that great? This beautiful baby boy has God-honoring, faithful parents. You love to see it. And that is a good thing. But Simeon recognized and received Jesus for who he really is. The salvation of God. And when he saw Jesus in this way, you know what happened? Well, he realized in that moment that, that he had received the most important thing available in life. And so he was instantly happy to die. His bucket list was truly complete. Bucket lists are interesting, aren't they? Because bucket lists are actually um, about trying to find enough contentment and peace and, and fulfillment in life that you feel happy to let go. I need to do as much stuff as possible. There's two or three things that, that I really want to do. 
I, I read a story on the internet about a guy who, uh, whose wee dog got cancer and, uh, and so he made a bucket list for his dog and took him around America and stuff. Now I grew up in the country and that's not what you do with sick dogs, but um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, but bucket lists are about finding satisfaction with life. If only I can do this, this, and this, then I'll have completed life. I'll have, I'll have enough peace and contentment. And Simeon sees the salvation of God and he says, life is complete. I have satisfaction. In Jesus, we find true peace and true satisfaction. When we see Jesus, not just as some good teacher or a nice guy, but when we see him as God's salvation and when we give him our all and bow down and worship him, that that's when we receive true and complete contentment. The Apostle Paul knew this, didn't he? He saw Jesus for who he is and received him fully. And what did he say? He says in Philippians 3, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He actually says, for, for, for his sake, I have disregarded everything else. I count it as rubbish. He also says in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's what happens when you see Jesus. The things of, the things of this life don't become less uh, valuable or meaningful or less meaningful, but we realize that we have true peace in Him. It's a, it's a grim thought to start the year, isn't it? But are, can we be like Simeon and say that we're ready to die? Now, there's one final character that we meet in this uh, how am I doing for time, John? I'm okay? Okay. John says I'm okay. He, he looks to be in charge here, so we'll just keep that. Um, one final character we meet in this passage, um, a fascinating woman called Anna. And we'll read about her in verses 36 to 38. Let me, let me just recap by reading 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is this incredible woman of faith. Um, she had been, when she had been married for only seven years, and, and she was probably just a teenager when she got married, much like Mary, uh, when she had been married only seven years, her husband died. And all these years after, she's just decided to be a faithful servant to God. She was always in the temple. She was fasting and praying and worshiping God. She was one of those, and I, and I hope you have some of them in your church, but she's one of those in, invaluable people that every church should have, a prayer warrior. That's how I think of Anna. <laughs> you know, she, she was a prophet. <laughs> she had the authority, of, authority from God to speak into your life. One of those, that there's, there's certain older women in my life, and when they say, you know, I, I, I think God is saying this, then you know that God has sent it to you. You know those other women that you just listen to? This is Anna. And so what does Anna's story tell us about Jesus? Well, Anna's adoration shows us that Jesus gives us purpose. Anna's adoration shows us that Jesus gives us purpose. Anna had been faithfully serving God for 84 years. Now, actually, the way it says here in the version we've read was that she uh, had been a widow until she was 84, but actually I think that she's actually been a, a widow for 84 years. But she's been faithfully serving God for 84 years, faithfully and expectantly waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, faithfully watching and waiting for Jesus. She, she's someone who I, I want to learn from, someone who faithfully watches and waits for Jesus all those years. And then one day, her Jesus comes to her. Now, look at her response to seeing Jesus. 
she responds in a slightly different way to Simeon, doesn't she? Um, Simeon was like, when he says Jesus, like, well, Lord, that's it. I'm ready to die. Bucket list complete. I've seen your salvation. I have so much peace. Anna wasn't like this at all. Anna saw the arrival of the Messiah. She recognized God for, for, for she recognized Jesus as God's salvation. And she says, listen, this is great. Time to go to work. It's time to get stuff done now. Jesus is here. Anna's response to seeing Jesus gives us a great example to follow. Because what does she do? Well, it says that she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, as in speak of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The way this is written in the original language is called the, the imperfect tense. It means that, that it wasn't a one-time thing. It means that she begins to, 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 praise, to give thanks to God and speak of Jesus and then goes on doing that. There is no end in sight for Anna. Anna begin, begins to, to do these things and then keeps going. When Anna met Jesus, she receives a new purpose. Now, now bear in mind that, that she was, if she has been a widow for 84 years, she was 105 years old. 105. And she receives a new purpose. That's what Jesus does. When Anna meets Jesus, she doesn't see it as the end of her life. She realizes that her new life has just begun. 105 years old or thereabouts, even if she's 84. That's probably older than I'll get to. I'm pretty reckless, so. But don't let, don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not useful for Jesus just because of the stage of life you're in. This happens with old people, but it happens with young people too. Whether you're in youth or whether you're, uh, you have young kids uh, and, and you're busy all the time, or whether you are old and retired. Don't let anyone tell you you're not useful for Jesus. Jesus gives us a purpose, and He gives us all exactly the same purpose. As Christians, people who know and love Jesus, we are to be people marked by thankfulness who speak of Jesus. That's it. That's the Christian life, isn't it? People who are marked by thankfulness who speak of Jesus. And it's simple. This is the Christian life. I, I'm not saying the Christian life is easy because it's not. But it is simple. We thank God for what He has done and then tell other people about it. That's it. We get to speak of Jesus. We get to tell people of the hope we have we get to have people ask us, why are you so thankful all the time? Church, this is our privilege. This is our calling. Anna is our big sister and our example. And we look at her and we say, well, let's follow her example. This is our blessing. We get to speak of our Jesus. Think how easily maybe you speak about your kids or your husband or your wife. I don't mean like complaining about your husband or something. I mean like when, you say, when I tell people, you know, like, oh yeah, like I love Haley and we did this together. It was great. Now imagine doing that with Jesus. This is our privilege. This is our, our calling. I think having spent some time reading through this passage, Anna has become one of the people that I most want to spend time with in heaven. I want to I want to see that enthusiasm. I want to, to hear her story. What was it like for all those years serving in the temple, looking forward and, and waiting for, for the salvation to come? And listen, if an old woman who's 105 years old can do this, how much more can we? Many of us in this room have most of our lives ahead of us. I wonder what it would look like for us to put this into practice. Just think about your life. Think about uh, who you see and, and where you go and the places you meet. What would it look like for us to be people who are thankful and people who speak of Jesus? I really struggle with this. I, I'm not naturally a thankful person. I'm a complainer. I am a complainer. 
And though I drive down here this morning, I was complaining about my coffee and the coffee cup in the car. It didn't taste right and it was too hot and like, I mean, just silly stuff. I'm not naturally a thankful person. Anytime I'm thankful, that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But what would it look like for us to put into practice the example of Anna? Just exploring that privilege of, of being thankful to God that we've seen Jesus and then telling other people about him. I think about what we've seen this morning. And if we do, if we think about what we've seen, we'll realize that Anna's is the, the response that we want to copy. We've seen that, that, that Jesus joins us in our sinfulness and gives us his righteousness and his goodness so that we can be, we can be brought uh, close to God and made one with God. Jesus salvation is for all people. Isn't that something to be celebrated? And we receive his, when we receive his salvation, we receive the peace. And knowing that nothing else comes close to how important this is, just like Simeon. So how could we not be like Anna, our big sister? Marked by thankfulness and telling people about Jesus, our Jesus. We get to do that. And listen, my prayer is, I don't know any, I don't know many of you, um, and maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're tuning in online, or you've come here with a friend or a family member. You can see Jesus just like Simeon did, and just like Anna did. His salvation is for you. There's not one thing about you that, that excludes you from His offer of salvation. And all you have to do is just Receive him for who he says he is. Just trust him today. I'd, I'd love you to do that. And if you want to speak to me afterwards, or I know that Ali or John or any of the, anyone here would, would love to talk to you about that. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it's true and trustworthy. And we just pray now, Lord, together that, that anything that we've heard and that I've said this morning that isn't from you would just be forgotten about. And that anything that is from you would land in our hearts and would take root and grow deep and strong. Father, we want to thank you for, um, we want to thank you that, that, that you have sent your son to join us in our sinfulness so that we can lay claim to his righteousness. We want to thank you for the example of Simeon who, who, who shows us that Jesus' salvation is for all people and that we must choose. We must choose how we're going to receive this Jesus. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to follow the example of Anna, to just live lives of being thankful to God and speaking about our Jesus. And it's in his name and for his glory alone that we pray.